I want to welcome you to our second annual Real Bible Conference. We're grateful for it at Hillcrest. That God has God has allowed us to bring the great preachers in America here, and um, I want you to get the best. And we have the best, and we're looking forward to a great week, uh, brother. Jeff LeBorg is going to come and preach first. He's my friend. He keeps me on edge all the time. He just gets here just in the nick of time. He's like Superman. He just shows up, you know, when we need him. But I thank God. I guess we've been friends now for 25 years or maybe more. I've already told him he's going to, there's two, two people going to preach my funeral. Jeff's going to be one. Brother Benny Berry's here somewhere. He'll do the other one. There'll be two people preach my funeral. If they don't do it right, I'm going to stick a sign up out of the dirt saying, I'm coming back to get you, all right? But uh, Jeff is a, a godly man. He may be the most uniquely gifted preacher that I know. He has an unusual gift that God has given him, and I'm so grateful for it. Not many people have the gift that Jeff LeBorg has. And he's going to come tonight. He's the pastor of the Fairview Baptist Church in the Knoxville area. And Brother Jeff, I love you as my friend. I love you as my brother. And tonight, you are the man of God. Come and preach. All right. Okay. Let's go. Wow. Wow. Well, good evening, saints. All oh, some of you know who you are. Amen. It's not but two kind of folk in this room, saints and ain'ts, and I promise you, uh, you can get that settled before you leave tonight, amen? amen? Would you take your copy of God's Word, make your way to the Gospel according to John, the Gospel according to John. I want you to find the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. Choir, uh, Brother Steve Evans, orchestra, thank you uh, for stirring our hearts with uh, some God-exalting music. Thank all of you for uh, braving a little bit of the weather that we've had today to be out. Dr. Um, Denton, it is an honor to be in your pulpit and a man that is uh, absolutely focused on souls, fearless in his preaching, and always moving forward to the glory of God. They do not make them like Dr. Glenn Denton anymore, I'm telling you. So, And you're going to hear from one of God's best in just a moment. I'm just going to kind of set the table and get out of the way. I feel like a polecat in a perfume factory among all these great preachers. John chapter 1, I would, if, if you will, would you find uh, verse 29 of the first chapter of John chapter 29? Can I have just a bit, fellas, in, the, um, in one of my monitors uh, so as I don't blow them out? Would you rise out of reverence for the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word? Begin, if you will, your reading at verse 29. Stay with me because we're going to move for the sake of time across a couple of other verses. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now look at verse 35. And again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking unto Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seeketh ye? They saith unto him, Rabbi, which is 
to say, being interpreted master, Where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. And it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, O God, that if there be any spirit in this room that's not of the Holy Spirit, if there be any care or concern, if there be any spirit of distraction or division, anything that in any way would divide our attention from the hearing of the Holy Ghost of God. Now, I pray, Father, that I decrease, that you may increase. We did not come here tonight to hear from a man. We need a word from you. So, Father, let everything and anything that is not of you simply be escorted out of this room that we may behold the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. We are in a passage that to the, conspic- to the uh, casual uh, Bible reader, it is not conspicuous. In fact, if you were just doing a devotional time in order to collect some theological trivia, uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't pop up off the passage very quickly at you. The page would remain, remain rather benign, if you will. It's not obvious to those who are just reading in order to Uh, check off a devotional box. I don't know if you know anybody like that, but God help us and save us from a generation that wants to have a three-minute devotion and then walk all day in the anointed power of God. It isn't going to happen. When you get to this particular passage, there is a major spiritual shift. Uh, It's one that is parallel to where we are as a nation. Now, I'm I'm not, please hear my heart. uh, Dr. Denton is one of my closest, dearest friends. He is a man that I have admired for years. I would not desecrate this desk nor this meeting by turning it into a political mantra. I understand politics. If you you take the etymology of the word poly, many, and ticks, bloodsuckers, we won't talk about that tonight. I understand. So we're not talking about politics tonight. What we are talking about is, is the political and prophetical atmosphere in America. And there is this sense, beloved, in fact, I was at the inauguration, I had the privilege uh, because of a group of men that I study with in prophecy and latter-day eschatology, I had the privilege of going to the inauguration and being a part of some of the events uh, spiritually, uh, stood on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, I watched our new president, in fact, uh, I had stepped away from the line, and uh, when I had stepped back from the line to, to uh, see somebody, my wife was still on the line. And the uh, presidential, the beast limo pulled right up in front of my wife and boom, popped right out. Both uh, President Trump and his wife waved at my wife and she turned and said to me, I told you I was God's favorite. (laughs) Uh, My concern is this, beloved. Uh, This passage is a picture of where we are prophetically because we have somehow decided, I fear in my heart in America that perhaps because there was a shift in things politically in the White House, that somehow or another it's going to change the spiritual atmosphere in our country. 
It is not the job of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to change the culture of America. It is not a political move that we need this evening. It is a spiritual awakening. The problem is not, beloved, the White House. The problem is the church house. The problem is not that we, that we have not legislated morality. The problem is, is that there is more immorality in the church sometimes than there is in the White House sometimes. So when you get to this passage, what you are dealing with is this seismic shift in, in the spiritual continuum. It is a picture of, of exactly where we are. We are in a day, beloved, where we are dealing more with the synthetic than we have in the authentic. When you get to this particular passage, it has been some 400 years and there has been no prophetic voice. In fact, by the time you get to John, the baptizer, this wild-eyed, camel-hair-wearing, locust-eating, leather-lung Baptist preacher, i.e. Glenn Denton, when you get to this guy... Uh, he is this rebel rousing non-religious I'm telling you the convention would not have approved of him so when you see him standing out there preaching he is pierced the silence in fact I, I, have, a, I have a simple outline for you it's, it's very simple it's, if you're taking notes uh, I, I want to tell you our first point as I uh, make this message um, Quick and to the point, I, I want to talk to you about the unmistakable declaration. In fact, it's mentioned twice. Look, if you would, again in verse 29. And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Amen. Verse 36, again, the next day, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. How I, 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 I do not possess the ability Intellectually, I do not have the capacity, beloved, to explain to you what is happening on the banks of the Jordan. I just stood there just a few months ago in this very spot. I, I cannot begin to explain to you the seismic spiritual shift of what's happening with John the Baptist standing down there saying, Behold the Lamb of God. For, for American Christianity, it, it, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't ring. It doesn't reverberate across our soul. You, you, can't, you can't imagine because if you're a part of a great church like this where the choir is singing under the power of God and the preacher preaches without fear or favor of man, you can't imagine what it must have been like in these days. If, if you come to a church like this where the heavens are rent and the winds blow and the oil flows and souls are saved and, and the Spirit of God sets the attic free and puts the home back together, I know the history of Hillcrest. You have had, if I might say, some snot-slinging, hanky-waving, pew-jumping, devil-chasing, glorious services. Can I get a witness in the house? Oh, yes, you have. We know you are lauded and applauded across our convention as being a great soul-winning church. But do you know that sometimes you can take that for granted? For the last 400 years before John the Baptist, the heavens had turned to brass. The prophets had been silenced. In fact, there was no prophet. There was nobody preaching the word of God. Can you imagine for a moment that it is a land where there is nothing but the perfunctory activity of religion? All you're able to do is, is to pick up a turtle dove or to gather a lamb or to walk up and stand in the precincts of the temple. There's no life-changing power. There's no message to set you free. Men are bent over with the burden of religion trying to earn the forgiveness that has been promised at the cross of Calvary. 
Calvary, they have been shackled with religion. They have been told like Baptists have been told. Oh, you do know if, you, if, if you'll just keep the rules. You know what the rules are. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. If you just keep the rules. How many of you understand there is no power in rule keeping? You were not saved by works. You will not be sustained by works. You are not, you are not snatched up out of the fires of hell because of your behavior. And I know there are some in this room who would say this evening, well, you know, you know, Brother Jeff, I, we've, we've never been just bad, mean. I, I, I lived a good life before I came. Listen to me. There's nobody good. No, not one. Not one. John is piercing the religious darkness. It's an unmistakable declaration. In fact, our land is experiencing some of this. The prophets have passed off the scene. In fact, what few prophets there are, and I'm not talking about foretelling the lottery numbers. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a biblical prophet. I'm talking about a man of God that will stand flat-footed and without fear or favor of any other man just tell it like it is. He refuses to lower his voice to raise his check. He refuses to compromise. He refuses to, to, to go along and get along in order to get a bigger church. I'm talking about we've lost the prophetic voice in America. Where are the Rogers and the Falwells of our day? Where are the prophets and the men of God that would stand and declare it's wrong to rip an unborn child, not a choice, but a child out of a woman's room? Maybe you heard today, in fact, some of it came by one of your staff members. I was informed today that Walt Disney has decided that they are now going to applaud the homosexual lifestyle and Jiminy Cricket is going to come out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? I say get some bug sprays, what I say. got to be kidding me. For real? Do, do you not understand? Listen to me, beloved. When, when he stood on the banks of that Jordan and he said, behold the Lamb of God, it was an unmistakable declaration. Everybody that heard his voice knew at that moment, we are weary of religion. We are sick of living inside of a program and a powerless literature that has nothing to do with the Lord. Does it not strike you odd, beloved, that we are bigger than we've ever been as Southern Baptists? We have built buildings and paved parking lots, and I'm not against that. We just Sunday night, we just watched God miraculously we, we found 50 acres that was relatively flat in East Tennessee. How many of you know that's a miracle in East Tennessee? If you find two foot that's flat in East Tennessee, it's a miracle. We found 50 that's relatively flat. God gave a $1.1 million piece of property to us for $350,000 to relocate. And in the middle of praying about it, a man stopped off the church and the Holy Ghost said to him, I need to drop off a check for $350,000. Now, somebody say Amen. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm not against buildings and parking lots, and I thank God that we've padded the pews and carpeted the floors. I'm thankful for all of that, but you hear me. There was a day we were not known for our facilities. We were known for our faith. There was a day when the Baptists showed up. It wasn't about building a prissy building and having some eloquent seminary trained uh, preacher. It was about the power of God. There used to be a day when we showed up with brush arbors and we preached and the bar got emptied out and the brothel got emptied out and the power of God came down. We've got more than we've ever had, but we're worse off than we've ever been. We've built bigger than we've ever known. Listen to me, beloved. We have absolutely grieved the Spirit of God in a America. In fact, I'm told by denominational leaders that of 42,000 Southern Baptist churches, 14,000 last year didn't baptize anybody. Not one. 
Now, I don't know about around here. Y'all baptize a lot of folks. Brother Kevin, uh, he, he baptized, he's a leader in his convention. I tell my folk in Knoxville, somebody's going in that baptistry, amen? We're not turning in nothing. If we have to baptize a house cat, bless God, somebody's going in that baptistry. In fact, I know two or three deacons need to go again. Somebody's going in the baptistry. It's an unmistakable declaration. He, listen, when he said, behold the Lamb of God, I'm telling you there's something reverberated across the land spiritually. When he said, behold the Lamb of God, they knew because deep down in their soul, they knew that the seed of the woman had been promised in Genesis. They knew that this one who was the scarlet thread of the Old Testament, they knew this wheel within a wheel of Ezekiel. They understood the weeping prophet of Jeremiah. They were not caught off guard. They knew there was one coming through the womb of a virgin that had been prophesied by Isaiah. They knew there was one coming that was a sweet balm of Gilead and the rose of Sharon. And when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Do you remember that day? Do you remember? I don't know what the vessel, I don't know what, what medium God used. I don't know what man or woman. But do you remember the day the Holy Ghost of God sat down on you and said, behold, behold, the Lamb of God. Do you remember, beloved, when you found out it was not baptism, it wasn't being a Baptist, it wasn't tithing or teaching. Do you remember the day when your burden got rolled away because the blood of the Lamb had cleansed you from all iniquity? <laughs> behold, the Lamb of God. Now, now, we know they're paying attention, beloved. we we, we got to hasten to a close. Now, watch this. We know they're paying attention because watch the flow of the text. When you get to verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak, they followed Jesus. I get tickled that folks said they got saved but never want to be with Jesus nor around the people that love Jesus. There's a Greek phrase for that. It's called liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> Well, Jeff, I'm, I'm saved, but I can only come to church six times next year. We've got travel ball. <laughs> Let me just pause and say something. If you want to spend from May until August dragging your poor little kid who you think is going to be the next major league whatever, and you're spending tens of thousands of dollars, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't give half a hoot and a dollar to, to the tithe, we haven't seen you since last year's Easter egg hunt. And you show up in September and say, Brother Glenn, we're upset. Somebody gave my Sunday school class away. Well, that's because you've been on the FBI missing list since May, sister. Y'all get anything out of what I'm saying to you? Mm, it's an unmistakable declaration. You're talking about glory filling their souls. You, 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 listen, something happened atmospheric. Now, I, I don't, don't, I'm accused enough of being an undercover charismatic, so I don't need any help, but I just, I just need to say this. I'm telling you, there was an atmospheric shift. Y'all ever been in a room that was stale, dry, and half dead, and the Holy Ghost show up right in the middle of it, and the room just shift? I mean, well, that side's working on something. Have y'all ever been in that room where, I mean, it, it just shifts, something happens, the Holy Ghost shows up. I'm sorry, I'm in the Baptist church. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells among us. Have y'all ever been in a room where the power of God sits down and, and just in the middle of a service, something, that's exactly what's happening on the banks of the Jordan. It's an unmistakable declaration. Jesus is coming. He's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And in that moment, something happened. But watch this, watch this. You always know you've been in the audience of the Almighty because from an undeniable, an unmistakable declaration, there is an unrelenting 
unrelenting determination. Now, let me, let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about very quickly, very quickly. Watch this, watch this. When you get down to verse 39, he saith, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him. Verse 40, and two, uh, uh, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, I want you to watch what Simon Peter does, what, what Andrew does. He first findeth his own brother, Simon. Now, that's, that's, that's Simon Peter. That's open mouth, insert foot, Simon Peter. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Don't point, ma'am. Please don't point. <laughs> Listen to what he said. We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Now, I am, I am not proficient, and I, I don't want to pretend to be um, uh, proficient in the Greek and Hebrew languages. I study them um, as, as much as I can, but I know, I know folks that are. And when I was working this passage, I discovered something of an anomaly in, in, because the English text does not, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't capture the heart of it. In, in fact, when it says, he findeth his own brother first. Well, the, the tense of the activity in that, you, you understand Greek language is, is much more precise. It has a precision about it that English just simply cannot convey. In, in fact, my old Greek teacher at, at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary said, that is an indicative, eritist, tense, active voice, third person. <laughs> and I said, I don't know any more than I did before I called you. That didn't help me at all. Here's, here's what happens. When there's an un, unmistakable declaration, when you begin to lift up the Lamb of God... It will affect people in such a way that there'll be an unrelenting determination that you go, they, you're going to want them to have what you got. <laughs> that, what that, all that means, let me read it again because I noticed some of you Greek scholars are taking notes. It's an indicative, uh, uh, eritus tense, active voice, third person. Let, let me tell you what that means in Tennessee talk. That means he wouldn't leave him alone. That means he just kept coming back. See, it says he first found, he first brought. Well, that sounds like a singular one moment encapsulated in time, but that's not what the tense is saying. This is what it's saying. It is saying quite literally, it is saying when he first went to Simon Peter, this is what Simon Peter said. I don't want anything to do with that. Y'all know anybody like that in middle Tennessee? Y'all do know y'all are the y'all are the buckle of the Bible belt. <laughs> you are the Vatican. Now we're two, we're two holes behind you on the belt over there in Knoxville, but y'all the buckle. Can I get a witness in the house? You, you do know that, that this is one of the most unchurched states in all of the nation. We have just been told by missionologists, we have just been told by those who study that we are now the third most unreached, unchristian nation in all of the world only behind China and only behind India, we are the third most unreached, unchristian nation. Do you understand, beloved? You can be anything you want to be today. You can be a pervert, a pedophile. You can be an agnostic or an atheist. You can be a Muslim or a Hindu, but you cannot be a Bible-believing, blood-bought, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, soul-pursuing child of God without being ridiculed. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, beloved, it's going to get tight in this room. It's, it's going to be like a big girl's girdle for about 30 seconds. So y'all just hold on. Amen. On. We won't know why we don't have the power of God on us anymore. 
We won't know why we're not walking in victory anymore. We, we've already got the un, unmistakable declaration. The Lamb of God's already come, paid the price, got up, told death, hell, and the grave where to go. And, and listen, we've already got the power of the most the Holy Ghost of God, and we walk around like a bunch of sour pussies complaining about the color of the carpet more than we do the fact we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's an unrelenting, unrelenting determination. He said, I, I first went to my brother. Now watch this. That, that doesn't mean that he went one time and, and said, uh, Brother Glenn's having this preaching conference down at the church. You won't go? No. Okay, well, I tried. <laughs> That's not what that word means. It quite literally means in, in the third person active indicative eritus, it means this. He asked and he kept on asking and he asked and he kept on asking and he asked and he kept on. Why? Because inside of his heart was a Holy Ghost burden. He believed hell was hot. He believed that his brother was going to go to hell if he didn't come to the Messiah. And he understood that he needed to get Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a wealthy man. He was a man that probably had a monopoly on the fishing company on, the, on that part of the Galilee. But he understood something. You can own the world and still die and go to hell. Life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. If, if, listen, beloved, if, if stuff brought happiness in America, we'd be goofy. <laughs> we, we, we got so much stuff. We, the third fastest growing industry in the Southeast is storage buildings because we got so much stuff. We don't have anywhere to store the stuff, so we pay people to store the stuff that we don't want so we can go buy more stuff to put it where we move the stuff we just stuffed. <laughs> right? Y'all all right over there? <laughs> Y'all okay? And, and we sat in church and wondered, where'd the power of God go? I'll tell you where it went. When we lost our burden for the lost, he said that's why he came was to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to see you could memorize the bylaws. Dear God, we must have got that out of the first book of stupid because they're not even in the Bible. Brother moderator, I'll make a motion. I do too. You sit down and shut up. Let's pray for revival. Amen. What in the world? He just kept going and he kept going. It was an unrelenting determination. There was a burden in this guy's heart. And I'm going to stop here and I'm going to say something because it's in my spirit to say it tonight. I'm telling you without, without doubt, there are in this room, there are folks who are good. They, listen, you're born again. You're, you, you love God. You're a tithing, teaching, attending. You're here on a, on, what's tonight? Wednesday night. You're here on Wednesday night at a Bible conference. This is the cream of the crop. I want you to hear me. Listen to me. There are folks in this room who have given up and no longer believe. There is a lie being told to Southern Baptists across the convention that God does not do miracles anymore. That's being told all over the convention. I have personally been rebuked since moving to Knoxville. I've been rebuked multiple times by local pastors because, because and you stop me if I get out of line here because this is your pulpit. We still anoint with oil at our place. We, we, still, we, we still, listen, I didn't even preach second service Sunday because the Holy Ghost of God fell and it got, it got so on like Donkey Kong, I never made it to the pulpit. How many of you know when a preacher doesn't preach, it must be God? Yeah. Right. At the end of the service, 21 folk lined across got saved that morning. Amen. And do you know how it started? It started with one person who was fighting for their life and they wanted to be anointed with oil according to James chapter 5. And the moment that we obeyed the Holy Ghost and laid hands and began to anoint them, the Spirit of God rent the heavens and we, we moved into a continuum, a whole new dimension of God's mercy and grace at the Fairview Baptist Church. Why? Because we are determined not just to meet, not just to sing and preach. We need to be with God. That, 
That's why he won't give up. That's why he just keeps coming back. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this 747 in for a landing. Now listen to me. There are folks sitting in this room, you've been told that God can't deliver anymore. And you've been told that miracles were for a different dispensation and God doesn't do the miraculous anymore. Well, my Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what my Bible says. And there's some of you in this room and you're going through it just like we are in Knoxville. You're going through it sideways from Sunday. We Listen, last month alone, 40, 40 of our young adults OD'd on some of the strongest heroin that's ever hit the streets of Tennessee, one of which was 34 years old. And as she shot it in her veins, her, her little boy was standing at her bed uh, watching her. She fell over dead and I buried her. We're doing that every month to the tune of 40 to 50 to 60 a, a, a month. And this is, what, this is what pastors are saying. Well, God can't deliver drug addicts anymore. That, that, you got that out of the first book of stupid because that's not in the Bible. I'm going to take, listen to me. There are some that only come out by much prayer and fasting. And this unrelenting determination on Andrew's part is I'm not giving up until he gives in. I've got a burden on my heart. And listen to me. There are parents in this room tonight. You've been told that you put them through every program. You've spent half of your retirement trying to get them off of drugs. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not making any commentary on a secular approach. I'm simply saying this. Until they meet the most high, they're going to keep getting high. Until they go and find the new wine, they're going to keep going back to the old wine. And I double dog dared somebody in this room tonight with an unrelenting determination to just stand flat footed before God and say, God, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Do you remember that dad who on that on that property farm. That daddy never left that porch. He got up every morning and stood on that porch and looked down that dusty trail. He looked every morning with a, with a prayer. And listen, now preacher, how do you know he had faith? I'll tell you how I know. It's my sermon. I'm going to preach it the way I want, so hold on. I believe every morning he got up, he went out to that barn, and the day that that boy left, there was a calf born. That's, I believe that. I believe that calf that was killed, that fatted calf, was born the day that boy left. And I believe he called every servant and the sons in, and he said, boys, you don't touch that calf. That calf right there is my calf. I feed him. He doesn't come out of the stall. He's the fatted calf. And every morning he got up and he went out there and got him a big old pail of oats and he fed that calf and he laid his hands on him. He said, Mr. Calf, you better eat good because by faith he that is dead is going to be alive one day. Mama's making a robe. They bought some new shoes in town. I've got a ring to put on his hand. So you eat good because you're going to be a big Mac attack because my boy's coming back. Can I get a witness in the house? Listen to me. You listen to me. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the... He's the same God, the same one that saved your soul from hell can set your kid free from addiction. The same one that saved your soul from hell is the same one that can bring his right mind back out of homosexuality. It's an unrelenting determination. He just kept going and kept going and kept going. And one day, one day, some, some way, Simon Peter said, Bless God, you heal Chris folk ain't gonna leave me alone. Do I come up here, are you? Boy, y'all worse than Jehovah's Witnesses. Good Lord. <laughs> mm. John Wesley, I was reading about him the other day in my private praise and prayer time. John Wesley got under a burden. He got under a burden that he lost the power of God on his life because nobody was railing on him. Nobody was cussing him. <laughs> Brother Glenn, we don't have to worry. I mean, we got the power of God on <laughs> He got under a burden that folk, because John Wesley was a firebrand. And he got up off of his horse. You know, he's a circuit riding preacher. 
He got off his horse and he leaned up against a big old stack of, of rocks that had been hewn out to build a barn. And he was praying, oh God, if I've done something to grieve you. He said, Father, now this is in his, in, his, in his journals. He said, Father, if I've done something to win the favor of man and grieve the Spirit of God, I need you to tell me because I've not been cussed nor run out of town in two days. <laughs> About that time, according to his journal, somebody picked up one of them bricks and hit him on the side of the head and said, John Wesley, you make us mad. And he raised his hands and said, thank you, Jesus. Woohoo!" It's an unmistakable declaration. It's an unrelenting determination. Now watch this. Here, here, here's, here it is. We're done. Without question, verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. But thou shalt be. See, this is, this is where Christianity leaves everything else in the dust. Are you with me? <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't you, you going to nirvana. This, 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 this isn't you going through reincarnation. Somebody asked R.G. Lee one time, what was the silliest man-made religion? Dr. R.G. Lee said, well, it, it would have to be the doctrine of reincarnation. He said, if I believed that, I believe I'd lose all hope because who wants to go through puberty again? <laughs> Well, y'all slow tonight, but that's all right. <laughs> y'all be ready for Brother Kevin in a minute. How y'all know, y'all do know sin will make you stupid. Do y'all know that? We have deceived ourselves into believing that we can walk an aisle and pray a prayer, sign a card and get in the baptistry, that somehow or another we have exchanged death for life when the truth of the matter is the prayer we prayed didn't change the life we were living and it won't change where we're going. Because there was no difference. In fact, I'll be quite honest with you. I, I, I got a phone call today. I'm, I'm doing some preparing. I'm 40, none of your business years old. And I'm taking care of some things for my wife. And, and I had somebody call me on the way here, asked me about a life insurance policy. And they, they said to me, um, have you ever used drugs and alcohol? And I said, yes, I did. And they said, how frequently? I said, I was an addict. I was addicted to them. They said, uh, how long's that been? I told them, it's been, it's been 27 years. 27 years. Been free. She said, uh, what program did you go through? <laughs> I said, ma'am, you're not going to understand this, but I didn't go through a program. Can I share my testimony? She said, well, this is being recorded. I said, good, you can play it back for the whole office. And I shared in about three minutes what the Holy Ghost of God did that, that day he got a hold of my heart and delivered me from a life of drunkenness and addiction and ultimately death. Now, I want, you, I want you to hear me. There are a lot of people who will say to me, you know what, Pastor, I didn't have that defining radical moment of salvation. But I want you to hear me. I came out of the bars and the brothels and the crack houses. My own parents didn't want me. Threw me out as a teenager. And I'm, I'm not being cute. I'm, I'm being honest. I, I have in my ministry now of over a quarter of a century of pastoring Baptist. The meanest people I have met were not in the crack houses. 
I hung out with drunks that give you the last cigarette and let you sleep in their outbuilding. And I've pastored people that wouldn't walk across an aisle to extend forgiveness to somebody That's right. and That's grieve the Holy Ghost right. and then say to me, I know that I know that I know I'm saved. Brother Jeff, I walked that aisle. I prayed that prayer. I'm telling you, I got, I got that Baptist right. I've been baptized. Good, good for you. Good. You can get baptized, galvanized, rubberized. You can get in that baptistry. They call you SpongeBob SquarePants. Do you know what you're going to do? You're going to go to hell from a Baptist pew quicker than you would from a bar stool because it is not the attendance of the church. It's the atonement of the blood. He said, you, you, I know you. You, you are Simon, son of Cephas. This is where Christianity leaves everything else in the dirt. Everything. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to in this room, but I'm going to tell you something. I, I, there are those in this room, in, in, inevitably, that are so ashamed of what you did. I mean, there was a time, there was a time Brother Glenn didn't know what I just said because I was so embarrassed by it. There was, I would have never told any, I pastored for years before I ever told anybody about how absolutely wicked my life had been. And, and because I remember when I got saved, Brother Glenn was a bunch of preacher boys got saved, got kind of caught caught in a wave about that time and, and, and I, I was virtually homeless. I was a high school dropout and, and I, had, I didn't know anything about church and there was a bunch of church boys got saved and we were standing around in a circle one day waiting to go see some deacons that were going to give us a new Bible and they were all talking about their pedigrees and I thank God for that. I mean, my, I'm grateful that you got one of them said, well, I my great-great-grandfather dated Lottie Moon. <laughs> I don't even know who Lottie Moon was. They stand around, you know, swapping resumes. Well, my great-great-grandfather was part of the cooperative program formation. He actually pastored First Baptist Arkville with Noah. <laughs> I'm standing there in a Goodwill suit with a pair of shoes that Aunt Dot bought for me at, at the homeless shelter with a clothes shelter and I knew they had holes in them because it was raining the day I went and my socks were soaking wet and I was hiding my feet because I didn't want anybody to know and my suit jacket hung this far up off my arms and I was standing there and they said, well, what about you, Laborde? And I said, well, I guess if my folk had a ministry, it had been a prison ministry. That's all I know. <laughs> Listen to me. There's not one thing in this room that the blood can't wash away. Amen. Not one. This is who you are. And by the way, I knew who you were when I died for you. I knew what you were going to be. In fact, that's the reason I had to come die for you. So I just want to say in closing in this room, whatever you've done, wherever you are, ever how bad you've been, I'm telling you, the ear of God's not deaf that he can't hear. His arm is not weak that he can't save. I'm telling you, the heart of God tonight is he can absolutely write in a Bible conference, reach down, snatch you up out of hell. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. There is an unrelenting determination because there is an undeniable transformation. And do you know what the world's waiting for? They've tried every bottle and every bag. They've climbed out of every bed. And do you know what they're looking for? One saint of God. One saint of God that can live the authentic. Ravenhill said it this way. The world is not looking for a new definition of Christianity. The world is looking for a real demonstration of Christianity. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the liberty in this room to preach. Thank you, Father, for your presence of your Holy Spirit. 
And I pray, oh God, that in this place tonight, there'd be those who would lay down the shackles of religion, walk away from their credentials, and that they would behold the goodness of God sent in the Lamb of Jesus Christ. I pray for those parents who are weary, worn, busted, exhausted. They have tried by might and power to do what can only be done by the Spirit. Their sons and daughters have been taken captive. Their grandchildren are about to be a generation offered up on the altars of paganism and humanism in this world. So I pray in the name of Jesus tonight that, Lord, by divine providence, you would weave Brother Kevin's message into the fullness of all that you're doing in this room. And there'd be some parents in this place tonight that would rise up and say, I am not going to let the enemy have my son, my daughter, or my grandchildren. I'm not going to just sit by and watch it. And I pray tonight with holy unction that out of this Bible conference, we would not simply collect more Bible trivia, but we begin to walk in spiritual power. In Jesus' name, amen.